What's up, everyone? We're at Slam Dance 2022. We have two more films to bring you. We have Foul Mouth and Snow White Dies at the End. This is sort of our what the fuck episode because both of these films are very different from each other uh, and very, I don't know what you would say, Ange. Uh, very different from just anything you would see normally. And entertaining. <laughs> very really, entertaining. really didn't know where they were going to go with both stories, but just really entertained and you know, ashamed to say I connected with a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> whatever that, whatever well, that says about us. Yeah. Foul mouth <laughs> is like my, my inner dialogue every day walking around San Francisco. So please enjoy both of these interviews and let's get started. <laughs> Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear... Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. All right, Beach Talkers, we are at Slam Dance 2022. Excited to bring you a narrative short whose title uh, caught our eye. We didn't even have to read any further. It's called Foul Mouth. And we're sitting down with the director slash writer, Taylor Thompson, and the star, Mr. Foulmouth himself, Brian DeMarco. Welcome to the both of you. Thanks for having us, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we'll start with you, Taylor. Can you introduce Foulmouth to our audience? Yeah, so um, Foulmouth is a little film that my friend Brian and I here have been working on for almost two years now. Um, It follows... uh, a foul-mouthed local that has found himself at odds in his changing neighborhood. Um, Just a little short that we put together that a lot of people seem to like, so yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, did the idea for foul-mouthed happen because of the pandemic and and the mindset you were in, or did you have this idea before this this all began and now it just happened to be more fitting? Yeah, well, I felt like um, for me personally, living in Los Angeles for the past seven years or so, you see a lot of strange people, a lot of people out on the streets that might seem quite intimidating or scary or some people that you would generally want to avoid. Um, But I found over the years, the more I've gotten to know these people that they can actually add a lot to your life or like be interesting textures to a community. And so I've always been interested in exploring that, like those sort of characters and bring a sort of human empathy to someone that usually doesn't uh, give that at first glance, you know? Yeah. And to, to Brian, how did you and Taylor meet? And then how, how did Lee come to life? Uh, Met at like a terrible, awful restaurant gig. (laughs) Uh, The only thing good came out of that was meeting Taylor. (laughs) hated that job and uh <laughs> we we made a this is uh, we made a couple different shorts before this one that were very various degrees of failure uh but uh, <laughs> before we figured out a recipe for a little bit more success possibly uh but uh and then the lead thing was 
I, as far as I remember it, you know, everybody remembered differently, but I think Taylor, you moved out to uh, Highland park, didn't you? you yeah, know? that's right. Yeah. So you moved out to Highland park and uh, there's like a, the, the characters loosely based on uh, a real person. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Taylor was walking around in his new neighborhood, you know, checking out the digs and figuring out where he's living. And there was this, you know, local character who brought a lot of color to the community, uh, uh, so much so that he'd been around for years and years. Like they had painted him into murals. And I mean, he was well known in the community mm-hmm. and he was, you know, foul mouthed and aggressive. Um, and uh, Taylor had just happened one day to see him crossing the road doing his thing and found him interesting. And I think that was a bit of inspiration for the idea of it. As far as I remember, is that, am I correct me if I'm saying things, putting words in your mouth? No. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, my concern when he brought it to me, my very first concern was I like the idea immediately, but l- let's make sure we're not, this, this is not going to be, a film about that guy and I'm not playing that guy because that slippery slope of being exploitive. And so let's make a film about a guy like that and not go down that road. And he, Mm -hmm. I think Taylor was hip to that idea, you know? Yeah. It was interesting how you really did manage to weave in, in some heart and some, some empathy and, and understanding amidst all the cuss words. Uh, and and I'm, I'm curious, Taylor, how much dialogue wise, how much of the cuss words were on paper or did you just kind of let Brian go <laughs> wild? This comes up a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it took lots of brainstorming and collaboration with Brian, um, but I would say there's probably a good 80% of what we had in the film was actually written. So I would, um, I would go out and I would, I would write these kind of long, rants as we called them um trying to you know expand from the normal profanities and like get some interesting takes and uh brian would take those and of course once he would get going it would be sort of like an improvisational sort of thing like once you get going on those rants you can't really just follow the script so he would kind of take it away on his on his own directions but ultimately was able to kind of follow the guidelines that we agreed upon and yeah it turned out to be something pretty cool i think yeah yeah, what I thought was cool about so the, my attitude toward the whole I rant thing was that uh, more of it's scripted than you would think. It's mostly scripted. Mm-hmm. I, I would say even less than twenty percent. Where it's it is improv. It was very much scripted. But uh, my thought process towards it was it was to try to have it be like poetry, sort of like this guy does this all the time. So it's it's so well worn pathways that I wanted, I hope, I don't know if we got achieved it, but I wanted it to feel like it was very fluid. And it was kind of like, and like he's saying, it was a lot like surfing. Like once you catch the wave, like at first getting that energy going is a little difficult sometimes, but once you catch the wave, shit just starts flying out. Like you just, you know what I mean? You don't even know what you're saying. You're just kind of on this ride of profanity. (laughs) Taylor was very specific about wanting it to be like he said, having it not just be profanity, but have some silliness or, or alternativeness to it, not just a bunch of curse words. He wanted, he kept writing in funny curse words. Mm-hmm. And it was always a thing from the beginning. And I don't know if it came across, but we wanted it to be funny. 
and and because it was like you said already, Angela, I think you said the concern that he would just be so unlikable. So how do you make this person have some empathy and feel for the person that they're not just this, you know, aggressive, angry, negative vibe? So yeah. I don't know. It was definitely a concern from the beginning. Have it be funny and have him be likable. How to how to do that? I don't know. You know. I think you achieved it. Yes. Um, I I want to ask about uh the the kind of background of L.A. and the story of L.A. weave throughout the the short, and also I love seeing you guys on the metro in L.A. because no one ever shoots inside the metro of L.A. Can you talk about <laughs> yeah. those those decisions? Try not to get caught. Yeah, that yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. I specifically wanted to keep this film condensed to a single neighborhood. And, and that was um, Highland Park here in Los Angeles. It specifically had lots of interesting characters and just textures and lots of beautiful old buildings. And it had a very distinct vibe that I felt really needed to um, be exposed in a film. And so I did lots of research and like finding all the best locations, trying to uh, meet as many of the locals that seemed to have the right flair and tried to like even bring them in on the film. Um, and, you know, in Highland Park, there's a there's a metro station right through there. It's, you know, not a lot of people use the metro, um, at least not as much as like, you know, New York or maybe San Francisco. But um, it's it's got a certain charm and, you know, we were a very low budget sort of thing. And since it is kind of empty, we were able to just kind of sneak on there, get what we needed and get out. So, yeah. I yeah. thought under the circumstances of the budget that, that you did a really great job with the locations. Thank you. Yeah, I guess it just, uh, you know, knowing the, the neighborhood so well and, and being familiar with it helped me um, know where and, and and when to like shoot stuff and what's going to make the most for the little money that we had, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's shot beautifully. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Aaron and I were talking before this interview <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, your character of Lee, that's us. That's our inner monologue, like kind of more regularly than I would like to admit. Mm -hmm. But there's one scene in particular that I'm super jealous, Brian, that you got to do there. I don't want to ruin it, but there are groceries involved. Um, and I, uh, I just want to ask, is it was that as fun as it looks? How many <laughs> takes did you get to do? It was wonderful. I felt freed. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And, you know, the, the the difficulty, of course, with, you know, ultra no budget uh creativity uh and shooting on film adds a whole nother level of immediacy you know is that you don't get a lot of shots at any of it you, you you know a lot of takes at any of it which makes it difficult to get the performance right uh but i and especially with that we're, we're literally on a corner on a busy corner at this alleyway you know, with people everywhere, cars coming in, you know, it's like playing hockey in the street car, you know, everybody moved to the side, you know, and, tr and trying to get it. I, I cannot believe we not once had the cops on us, not once. And, <laughs> and there was times when I'm in, I mean, I'm just screaming bloody murder, all these. <laughs> and no, I, I cannot believe it really. But yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. One of the hardest things about I felt like trying to execute the character because I'd never done this uh, kind of thing where it's so big, you know, where you felt. But Taylor was very adamant about it being cartoonish. 
and kind of, you know, have that quality of being so big. Like we kind of had a, 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 our, our, our communication was basically around Nick Cage, more Nick Cage, less Nick Cage. <laughs> you know, like That's how hilarious. Big, how big does this need to be? And <laughs> I, I found it very challenging in public and just in general performance wise to find a place inside myself to allow for that kind of freedom to try to just be ridiculous and trust that it won't. Cause you know, as an actor, you're, you know, you're worried about, you don't, you know, the, the actor's biggest fear probably is looking like an idiot, looking foolish, failing publicly. Right. That's probably everybody's fear for Christ's sake. <laughs> but, but the thing is like, you know, when you're doing something like this, I feel like it can go either, either way. It's one thing to like play when you're kind of a regular person and it's naturalism and you can kind of judge how real you're being like, does it seem real? Does it seem like that's believable? But when you're not really going for that, it's a little more difficult to calibrate. Like, am it, it's like some, are people going to watch this be like, this is the worst. This is terrible. Then that's what I said. Like the Nick Cage thing. Like I love his performance, but there's moments in his performances where you're like, I'm not sure if this is genius or, it's <laughs> animal, or this is just terrible. You know, so you're closer to that line trying to do something like this. And that was scary and difficult to calibrate. And of course, Taylor is over there, not having to be in front of the camera, just enjoying himself. (laughs) I got the easy job, that's for sure. Yeah, do do more of that. (laughs) I wish there was a camera on on just the pedestrians walking by, like, what the (laughs) hell are they recording right now? you You know what, Angela, in preparation, that's how we got there. Like the character didn't look like he ended up looking. Taylor took it through a lot of finding the right look for it took some time but all all the while he would we would go out into the neighborhood i would get in a character and just interact with the real world and taylor would trail behind taking pictures and and videoing it and watching so i was developing it by interacting with people that didn't know it was fake Mm -hmm. and that was the that was actually the most educational sociologically educational experience because you really feel it when I'm come, I'm trucking down the road and, and, <laughs> and, and I see a mother and her five-year-old daughter and you can see them visibly see you, they, they log your coming. And then they, you know, there's a, a very strong reaction. And, and when people react to you that way, you can see their, their horror about you or whatever. It really is an emotional experience. Be like, Whoa, that, that really hits you. Like those people, are concerned that I might harm them. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that was really helpful in developing it too. Also incredibly fun. Because be honest with you, you never <laughs> you never in life get the experience to be able to do and say anything you want with no like so like to be able to just be like card on blanche is just I can do anything. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was empowering actually. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can like you can just lay down in the road and like in the sidewalk. <laughs> and like the cops aren't gonna like nobody just they just go around you you can do anything it's 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 crazy it's crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i again that's why i love this film and the character <laughs> i felt i felt something there i my last question i want to ask is about the way that lee smokes it's very specific <laughs> is is that something that was always a part of the character or was that you, Brian, bringing that the way that he smokes and just smoking in general. 
It, well, the smoking was definitely a thing from the beginning. Like I, I personally wanted to be smoking nonstop through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> something that I, I definitely wanted, but yeah, developing the physicality was pretty specific. Like, uh, uh, the whole thing was like, yes, no I, one can see it, but <laughs> I feared, I feared that like, after even seeing it, like, is there, did I, Oh, like, is there just too much of, is it just like, you know, is it too much of a thing? Uh, that was definitely developed. The other thing, there's not, a, I don't think we got enough of it in it, but there's a few moments where the other thing was I wanted his hand to be always given the bird. <laughs> He's kind of yes. always, fuck you, fuck you all the time. Yes. You know what I mean? I thought that was kind of, kind of funny, but there was, I, I got to tell you, I walked around my own name, you know, it was during the pandemic. So, you know, you're cooped up all. So I would walk around my own neighborhood just during the day, go for an hour walk to get outside, get some exercise. And I was already doing that. And then when he brought the character, so I started incorporating my walks. So I was just walking around the neighborhood day after day, developing the, the, the just, you know, the whole thing over and over and over and over. Cause that's the other thing about trying to play physical, you know, this is all a learning curve for me to play that kind of physical intense physicality. I realized like, if you want it to even remotely appear real, it's like, you gotta, you gotta like get it into you so much that it seems normal when it's so not normal you know so yeah, yeah it was that that was so i'm glad you liked that because i thought it was one of the, <laughs> that was one of the nice touches yeah like, yeah well it just made me want a cigarette um <laughs> and they're expensive so taylor i imagine most of your budget <laughs> was spent on cigarettes <laughs> but um but yeah we we loved it congratulations to the both of you i i hope you keep us in mind for foul mouth part two uh, again, we've been speaking to uh, the director and writer, Taylor Thompson, and the star, Ryan DeMarco, of the Slamdance 2022 narrative short, Foulmouth. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. We are here at Slamdance 2022 virtually, excited to bring you a narrative feature titled Snow White Dies in the End. And we're speaking to the writer and director, Christian Risteski. Thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Thank you for inviting me. So can you introduce the film to our audience who hasn't seen it yet? Oh, uh, it's difficult <laughs> to talk about your film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, especially one like this. <laughs> There's a lot uh, going on. Basically, it's... Uh, uh, it's about uh, good people, kind, good, kind people, the, the sort of people that uh, 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 is dying probably in, in the contemporary societies now. You know, the, the people that uh, usually based their uh, decisions on common sense, on uh, moral values, uh, stuff like that, but it's it's far from. I mean, I, I started pretty boring. It's far from being boring like this, but it's it's a film about uh, people that uh, usually we don't talk about in films. Right. Yeah, and that's just a starting off point. You're right. There's so much more to it, and I feel like this movie is is definitely the epitome of what slam dance tries to bring to their audience. Uh, it's it's just, you know, up and coming talent with unique stories told 
in a way you haven't quite seen before. Um, we're going back in time, forward in time. The story is told by a fly. I mean, there's just so many different elements to the story that were really, really entertaining. Um, and, and I would like to know how you decided to, you know, you're going against the same tired formula we're used to seeing with films. So how did you go about creating this story and how you were going to tell it in terms of the timeline? Because if it was told linearly, it wouldn't work. It, it, you know, it just works perfectly the way you told it. Yeah, basically the timeline, uh, the, the structure is the same from the first draft. Uh, I, I first wrote the structure uh, and it came out of nowhere. It, it was not intentional. <laughs> I was just writing and, and it, it happened. So it happened even before the characters. There, there were just some outlines of the characters in the very beginning. So the first thing was uh, was this structure, and I didn't change almost at all the the structure from the very and the beginning was a decade ago. So wow, it, uh, mm. the, the the first draft I guess it was about maybe even more than a decade ago. Uh, and then it. it started developing, maturing, but uh, there was no fly in that draft, but <laughs> the, the, the interconnecting stories and uh, uh, that kind of hyperlink uh, structure was there from the very beginning. And I, I thought the casting was was really well done. Um, I really liked uh, Snow White. Uh, is her name Verica Nadeska? Verica yeah. Nadeska? Can you talk about the casting process and was it easy to cast this film or did you kind of have to tell the entire story to, to all of the, the actors to really get them to, to say yes to the project? It was beautiful journey. Uh, first of all, I, I love actors and for this film, uh, I knew uh, because of, of the budget const constraints and, and uh all the limitations we, we knew that we were going to have from the very beginning. So I, I knew that uh, casting and screenplay are the two key parts uh, of the film. So every, everything else was secondary. So we we really uh, took a lot of time uh, for, for the casting process. Uh, the casting director, Moni Damevsky and myself, started working on the casting um, i think it was november and we finished the process in in may next year so it, it was like more than half a year yeah and uh, we are a small country uh, about on, on a million and a half people all together and a small language so it was uh, there. There are not many actors, you know. There are like three hundred actors all together in, mm. in the country. So, uh, probably we, we saw more than a half of all the actors in, <laughs> in the country during the casting process, and and we uh, saw almost every theater performance in the country mm. that. Uh, part of the theater's repertoire at, at the moment. So it was very thorough. And uh, uh, one role was pure luck. Uh, that, that's the actor playing uh, Igor because oh. no one knew about <laughs> him. 
uh, he was in the in, in LA. Uh, he was studying at uh, Lee Strasberg studio. Uh, and the, there was a, a location manager in the crew that asked me, you know, there is a guy that studies something in America and he wants to be part of the production crew to volunteer. Do you have anything against it? And I said, no, no, but tell me a little bit more about the guy. And he showed me the picture and I asked him, what, what's he doing in, in America? He said, she's studying something. I don't know. Let me ask his father. And he asked his <laughs> father and father told him that he's studying acting. And uh, we uh, asked him to uh, to do the audition online. He sent us the video. I like him. And then we continued a couple of more times, but it was a great story, you know, because I I was so satisfied with uh, his process and and, and the result of it. So it was great. And uh, also uh, we had, after the casting process, before before the uh, starting of the principal photography, we had about... Uh, 40 rehearsals with the actors and probably I think that's that's the reason behind wow. uh, what you noticed uh, about it, it's it's not only the casting process but also uh, the the work behind uh, everything in in preps and um, uh, the other secret is that uh, all of the actors in the main roles, all seven, had great positive energy. So we really, really enjoyed uh, working together uh, throughout the, the film in, in the preps, during the rehearsals and also during the, the shooting. What a find with Igor, such a sweet, gentle character really fell in love with him so uh, that's great and we should tell our audience this is a story that's being told in macedonia we didn't mention that earlier um but you can tell that you you take your time christian with with the screenplay and with the casting because the characters are so well developed mm-hmm. um and each story you know there's three main storylines has a very different tone to it so um I, I know it's a lot like asking a parent who their favorite child is <laughs> but do you have a favorite story whether it was your favorite story to write or to direct because it was just a little closer to your heart uh no i i i, I love them all like like three three children of my own <laughs> uh, so I, I i couldn't pick one uh maybe um in in one of the stories there there is something i i try to be very modest and and uh non-pretentious as a director and uh, to to let the story and the actors uh, speak for themselves and the only director's uh, exhibition in, in the film is that uh, 13 minutes long uh, scene in the park so only uh, mm-hmm. because <laughs> of that scene maybe if I, I like all the stories 33 percent percent maybe that one is 34 <laughs> you know but because I, I i just wanted to challenge myself if i can tell a story uh 
with two people sitting on a park bench and talking for 13 minutes and uh, to, to achieve uh, that in the first place not to be boring and then also to to be to to bring some quality to the film and uh, I, I i hope we we did a good job um since Ange just brought up uh, macedonia and, and you did as well i just wanted to know what you want audiences to take away and how to how do you want them to think about macedonia after watching this film uh, thank you for that question uh because there there is a good story be, behind it uh Usually, uh, not only Macedonia, but the whole region of, of Southeastern Europe and the Balkans, uh, most of the films are very dark, uh, usually about uh, wars or uh, about the consequences of, of uh, some wars that happened in the region in the last 30 years. And basically, uh, that's the the picture uh, of the region uh, that all the audiences through, throughout the world are are carrying with them. So mm. I just wanted to make some uh, film that is not that, that that will change that picture because to show that it, it's you know it's not like uh, uh, we live in in uh, muddy villages with where. It, it's always raining and it's not like that. I mean, we are in, in the Southern Europe, uh, close to Mediterranean. It's, we have uh, 20, 250 sunny days. Mm. And there are good people, people living there. They have big problems uh, that are worth uh, telling. Uh, so I, I wanted to show, and, and they're smart in, uh, people, intellectuals, they're not, all, all of the people there are not thugs and, and criminals. And uh, so, you know, all the demographics uh, need to um, uh, have their own story uh, out there. And, uh, you know, I, I told the story about the things I know and about the people I, I know about this uh, urban life in the capital of, of my country, which is uh, inhabited by 800,000 people living pretty normal life. Most of them like in, in any uh, city of, of that size uh, around the world. You know, go, going to theater, cinema, uh, raves, whatever. <laughs> but this, you know, like they live normal lives, and and you know, that's the only thing I know about this country. And I don't know about the Madurainu villages at all. So I told the story that I know. Well, you were highly successful christian because i i would love to be sitting in front of the video shop with the three guys Me having too. a beer i mean <laughs> i would love that you, you you really did your country proud um and and what a what a success this film was a really we really enjoyed it so much again we've been talking to christian risteski the writer and director of snow white dies in the end from slam dance 2022. we didn't get to talk about the talking toilet but that's okay i know <laughs> yes like a nice surprise we I don't, don't know if it's nice, everything. but it's a surprise. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and the fly was so fun. Yeah. I, just, I loved the fly. Just 
really a really fun story. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. But I also wanted to mention um, the the description mentions farting backwards. Yes. Is that a is that a Macedonian phrase or what did you mean by the farting backwards? Because I'm sure a lot of people expected literal farting. Yeah, uh, I, I noticed <laughs> that from some comments. Uh, basically, I use uh, farting backwards as a metaphor for corrupted society. You know, mm. uh, in this society, most of the people fart backwards. And and that's the cor- corrupted way of farting. So uh, as a metaphor of living their their lives, and they're only we, this is a film about six people that that are properly farting. Uh, <laughs> yes, oh, I love that. Can we use that phrase now? Can yeah, I don't. I, you? Sure. <laughs> yeah, can we? <laughs> uh, so we know so many people that are farting backwards. Uh, a it's lot. Crazy. Yeah. All of our government. A lot basically. in this country. Yes. <laughs> All of the American yeah. government. Yes. And actually, the, the, the actual syntagma farting backwards uh, is uh, uh, the author is uh, David Lynch. And uh, at one uh, occasion, he was joking with someone and he, he said that in Europe, uh, people fart backwards. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, some, it's something similar, like, you know, when. Uh, uh, in in uh, uh, pulp fiction, when when uh, they explaining about hamburgers in in, yes. in Netherlands, mm-hmm. royal with cheese and, and uh, <laughs> yes, you know like what, what's different in Europe? So that the Lynch was joking about then he said that in Europe people fight backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but amazing! I borrowed the phrase, but uh, I use it in a uh, completely diff- different context. I love now it. we it get sense. it and we're going to use it. See, you're always thinking outside the box, Christian. Yes. That's the thing. <laughs> we're too literal. You, you need to pull us out of our boxes. So thank you. That was great. So congratulations and thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.